boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitching the fuck out of shit. That's right. Binge Boys, Hal Rudnick, Lon Harris. Lon, uh, I'm looking at you across from me on the Zoom. Did you hang some pictures on the wall in your bedroom? I did. I'll give you even here a minute. I'm tilting my computer up to give Hal a little better. Look, I put some- Oh, that's a sick-ass uh, Ghostbusters one. I like that. Yeah, I got a, I've got a Ghostbusters poster, and it's like done like a Japanese kaiju film poster, but if the, yes. the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man was a kaiju. Yeah. Do you recognize this with the one next to it? Right there. Oh yes, um, from uh, Goodfellas. It's, but yes. it's the it, yes. one dog's going this way, the one dog's looking that way. Right. It's hard to see from here, but that one, there's an old man in the boat with the two dogs that looks like Billy Bats. That's what they're like. Oh, look at that with the beard. But in this one, it's Martin Scorsese is in the dog with the boats. But it's oh. hard to see. It's hard to see from very where nice, you are. Very nice. Very nice. I love. I love that. And it's that's from the great scene where they're uh, going out to the woods to bury the guy in the middle of the night, and they stop off, and uh, Joe Pesci's mom is played by Martin, Martin Scorsese's, Scorsese's mom. mom. Exactly. Yes. yes. Very cool. Uh, I was like, look, we're we're in year eight of quarantine. I'm doing all of this content and making all of these videos for my bedroom. And I'd never bother because, you know, this is not a place in my house I would normally put a bunch of art up because it's not where mm-hmm. people come sit or whatever. But you could do it because it makes you feel good to well, see I, it. But now it's like it's this is where I make my videos. So now it's a backdrop for my content. So so I figured I'd go. move. So, so the rest of my apartment's walls are a little bit barely. Looking now because I moved a bunch of my art over here. You can't tell this one too. Uh, that is Andy Ristaino, a artist who worked on storyboards and stuff for Adventure Time. He does this whole oh. series where he recreates sequences and backgrounds from nerdy movies. That is the future from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. It's hard to see. Aha. But that's like when they, you know, when you're in the the utopian future yes. society of Bill and Ted. Be excellent to right. each other. Right. That's it. You could, yeah, there's even a little Rufus in there. I have excellent taste is what I'm saying, folks. And that's another episode of At Home with Lon. Oh, I think we found our new. I think we found our Patreon paywall. Segment. Yeah, just like me doing cribs. Yo, this is where yeah, you know, um, just chill out. Just like this is where we hang. Mm-hmm. I got the Xbox set up for my boys. You know, you get it. Uh, always got the hookah lit. <laughs> Lon, <laughs> let's jump right into the news. So, what if? Did you get a chance to check out? We're not reviewing it this week, so no pressure. But did you get a chance to check out Marvel's What If? It's on my list of things to do. The first one with Haley Atwell is. Uh, it's got a bunch. Sebastian Stan shows up. Stanley Tucci oh, wow. shows up and does a little voice the work tooch. for this one. The Tucci, yeah, they they reach out. That's the the best thing I would say about it is they've got a lot of characters and they're bringing people back to do the voices, and it does feel like kind of a. Victory lap reunion. Look how much we could do with this universe. We could do whatever we want. We could tell alternate versions of these stories. We could do anything. Uh, I think the animation is ugly and gross. But anyway, that's not what we're here for. We could talk about that some other time. Oh, yeah, I, I think I saw you on uh, Twitter. I don't just get it because about- it's not. It's not like there's just cheap animation where it's like the budget was low and they just this is the best they could do. And it's like you know what? I get it. Animation's very costly and difficult to do. But this is Disney Marvel. Like they they're. Pixar's down the hall. Like, these guys practically fucking invented animation. The Them going to a third-party studio that designed this kind of ugly, gross look to me, it feels a little unforgivable. Like, I don't get it. Why, Why should I give them a pass? They're the ones who should be nailing this right out the gate. 
Anyway. Sure, sure. I mean, that wasn't why I brought this up, though. We could talk about that some other time. I really brought this up. Pixar, not not right down the hall. They're actually uh, up in, like, near Cupertino. No. Pixar is one guy. His name is Bobby Pixar. And he's right down the hall from Marvel. In fact, all of Disney, it's just one floor of an office building in Omaha. And they all just, you know, they can go just, like, talk down the hall to each other. You are deliberately misleading our (laughs) listeners. I don't like it. Disregard. Travis, Travis, uh, could you please cut out the last uh, (laughs) minute and a half or so? I'm kidding. Yes, I I bring this up because Marvel's Brad Winderbaum, he's an executive producer on What If, and he is saying we're going to get a bunch of original animated series set within the world of Marvel, and they're all going to make their way to Disney+. Plus. No, No films in the works right now, but he says a bunch of TV shows are already in development. And that includes a series of photoreal animated shorts about Baby Groot. Now, when they say photoreal, I'm assuming they mean just like it'll look like the live action Guardians movies, but it'll be about the animated character of Baby Groot as well. Oh, so it's just going to be cute and we're just they're going to pump out a lot. Well, I don't know if all the animated shows will be cute. The Baby Groot things will probably be cute. The animated shows could range. Who knows? I mean, I don't think What If is particularly cute. I don't know. I'm not that interested in seeing an animated show about Baby Groot. Well, those are just like, shorts. Those are like he's going to they're going to do cartoon shorts with Baby Groot and then other animated shows. Too too cute for me. Too cute oh boy. for me. Everything's got to be grotesque for how. That's the rule. Yes. Make yeah. it gruesome. Yes, make it gruesome, off-putting, just bizarre and maudlin. That would be your your Marvel animated show. It would just be like, just just blood and guts. Just, you know just what? Bl- I mean, you know, I wouldn't mind a hard R. But let me ask, uh, the, the animated shows, will they impact the MCU? Or will it just be ineffectual fluff? I feel like that's probably a no. But yeah. all of this is now under Marvel Studios. There is no more Marvel TV that's its own division with Jeff Loeb. That's how it used to be, mm-hmm. but that's over now. Feige over everyone. So who's to say? Like, some of this stuff definitely will impact the MCU because it's all happening under the same guy. He can coordinate it to whatever level he wants. Like, for example, what if, I mean, it's an anthology. We're seeing alternate versions of these stories, but it's happening at a very strategized place in the story because we just had Loki, which blew up the whole multiverse. So mm-hmm. what a perfect moment to explore the idea of all of these different narratives and universes and realities than right now when everybody's already thinking about it. So I think you'll definitely get that kind of coordination from Kevin Feige. Will it be right. even more like, here's an animated show set in Wakanda that directly ties into the next Black Panther movie? Like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Who's to say? I think they have a good blueprint with all of the Star Wars shows, the animated shows. Exactly. I feel like it'll be something similar to that, where it it may not be this show leads directly into this movie, but if you're watching Mandalorian, a character may show up and it's like, they're from a cartoon. Yes. Motherfucker. So, yeah. So I feel like that's, that's what's coming down the road. On Disney Plus, catch it. Uh, up next, HBO renewed The White Lotus for an unexpected oh, yeah. season two. It was not written to be an ongoing show. In fact, do we talk about this? Do you know how White Lotus was created? It, LA Times wrote about this. It, but it was a, a pandemic show. Well, right. It, but HBO specifically contacted Mike White almost exactly one year ago, like in August mm-hmm. last year. 
HBO reached out to Mike White and they were like, hey, pandemic, we can't, we need something we could shoot. It's got to be a self-contained cast. It's got to be one location that we could just send them to and quarantine everybody and shoot it. Write us something. He spent a few weeks writing this entire season of television. And by like October, November, they were shooting the damn show. Wow. That's the quickness of the turnaround. That's incredible. Like, it's like worked out like he spent years on this thing. You know, long story short, put anything in the hands of Jennifer Coolidge and she'll make it funny. From every single one of those people involved making that show, that is an incredible achievement that the turnaround was that quickly. You can't tell at all. Watching it, it feels exactly like any other mm-hmm. TV show that had a year-long development and pre-production process. But anyway, they are going to bring it back for a season two, but it's sort of anthology style, so... New setting, it's going to be at a different resort in a different exotic location with a totally new group of characters. Now, he is saying Mm -hmm. he might bring some cast members back. So we might get Connie Britton or Jennifer Coolidge or Steve Zahn, Alexander Daddario Mm -hmm. or Jake Lacey in a new role, but it wouldn't be the same characters. Gotcha. Interesting. Sort of like what Murphy does with like American Horror Story or something where there will be this ensemble Mm -hmm. he can draw from, but he doesn't have to write like this family the next year goes on another vacation. He could play the whatever. They're a different family there, you know, whoever. So it it, it seems like a uh, bit of a, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. There's a streak of these uh, one-off HBO shows that become hits and now people are clamoring for an unexpected season two. Mare of Easttown, White Lotus. Not Lovecraft Country. (laughs) I I heard talks are also progressing between uh, Kate Winslet and... You know, every time Kate Winslet does an interview about anything, obviously the person is like, well, what about... What about Mare? We getting we getting any more mm-hmm. Mare? And she's never shutting it down. She's never like, no, I don't think so. She's always like leaving the door a little open. Like, oh, well, I've and every time it becomes a news story, like Kate Winslet nods thoughtfully and raised her eyebrow when Mare of Easttown too. But I, we haven't gotten anything concrete. Didn't say yes, but didn't say no. Yeah, I feel like it's something they may want to do, but there is no like, there's no script. You know, like we don't we don't have anything concrete yet. No ombudsman of Westtown. It was very popular. So I think HBO is going to do what they have to to try to get it back. Funimation, that's owned by Sony, they acquired Crunchyroll for about $1.2 billion. The the deal was made a few months ago. It was finalized this week. Uh, That means the two largest anime streaming services in the U.S. is now all one company that's owned by Sony. Uh, There are also some some early rumors that Sony's right away going to start to really press this out, push it to consumers, like maybe we'll get a new... PlayStation Plus tier that will include the Crunchyroll service. Mm -hmm. We also don't know, is Sony planning to just meld these two into one? Like, is Crunchyroll going to go away and all this content will just be on Funimation? Or are they going to remain independent? Like, there will just be always these two services that are both owned by Sony. Now, the Department of Justice did look into this because there was concern yes, about... is this a monopoly? Is this an anime monopoly, which sounds like it's its own show, but the, that was yes. the Department of Justice question. Uh, I, I'm, I'm picturing, like, instead of, like, the old man in the top hat with the mustache, it would be, like, mm-hmm. a young guy who's really, like, sexy in a tuxedo, but he would just have silver hair. That's how you know he's the monopoly guy. He's, like, young dude, cut, 
you know, elaborate flowing robes, but just the silver hair would be like, that's Mr. Monopoly. That's oh, it. so um, Mr. Monopoly would be like a real zaddy. Yeah, I'm saying like senpai Monopoly, and it's just like, oh, he's hot now. I get it. Yeah, Mr. Monopoly, like, uh, hello, sugar daddy. (laughs) (laughs) He tells you, like, you got to sell your hotel on Kentucky Avenue, but in like a a sexy, alluring, like, oh, this guy's dangerous. I could, I could, I could change him. Like, I could, I could tame him. Is there a talking Scotty dog? Uh, but anyway, the, apparently yes. the deal is the deal's being finalized. So the DOJ is like, they're all good. And, and, you know, a lot of people are saying, like, well, Netflix posts anime. You could theoretically, like, Crunchyroll used to be on HBO Max. It will move off of there, presumably, when mm. Sony takes it over. But, right. you know, HBO Max could add its own anime hub and start licensing anime. There's nothing stopping them. They very well could. These just happen to be the two largest anime streaming services in the U.S. that will now be one. But a big win for you, I would think, at least short term, if you were really into anime, you're going to get a lot of extra. There's a, a good chance your your service of choice will get a lot of extra content. If you are uh, a patron of the Anime Expo, if you are all anime all the time, then this might be a real boon. Apple ordered a first season of the mystery drama series Bad Monkey. This comes from Ted Lasso co-creator Bill Lawrence uh, mm-hmm. of Scrubs fame. Uh, Vince Vaughn is going to star. He will play a detective turned restaurant inspector living and working in South Florida. When a tourist in his area finds a severed arm, he is sucked back into the worlds of investigations. Uh, It's based on a book by Carl Hyacin. That's the same novel who wrote the book Striptease that became the infamous 1996 Demi Moore movie. So I'm guessing that's what the sort of the tone, the aesthetic, that kind of sleazy South Florida mystery with some comic elements, you know, like an ensemble of like all of these eccentric Florida man kind of characters. I never saw striptease. Is that, uh, has it got kind of like a magic mic vibe? A little bit. I think like, it's, it's a comedy and it's, it's like a, all, all of this guy, Kyle, Carl Hyas and stuff, or at least some of it is, it's like a parody of our thoughts about what Florida is. Like, if you're not from Florida, gotcha. he's writing about this, like, kind of heightened, like, the Florida that exists in all of our imaginations. Yeah, Carl Hyacin was, he, he was a prominent writer in the Yeah, this was in 90s. the nine, 80s and 90s, these, these books, his Florida mystery comedy riffs were very popular. Um, so I think Striptease, it, it got really infamous in its moment because Demi Moore had that blockbuster deal where she she was like the highest paid actress in history when that movie came out. And I think there was mm-hmm. so much attention on she did this nudity and it was this sexy poster and she was making all this money. And that really dominated the conversation. But if you watch the movie, it's not great. It's okay. But it's it's a goofy comedy. It's not like this sexy, big, over-the-top summer movie or anything. Right. That conversation got so carried away. Mostly what's memorable about the movie is Burt Reynolds has a funny supporting performance. And this was what... Oh. And Burt, like, Burt Reynolds' comeback, because he was in striptease and he was so funny, that's how he got Boogie Nights. Oh, wow. That's true. There you go. 
and great in Boogie Nights. Uh, yeah, I mean, people forget, but like the the '90s, it, it was the decade of Bruce and Demi. They they really ruled the roost. Very popular. Yes, mostly from providing twin voices in Beavis and Butthead Do America. I mean, that's the pinnacle of celebrity. Once you get there, I mean, yes, I, that is you, you write your own ticket. That's the height. We we like we watch the Val Kilmer documentary, and there's one point where he says like mm-hmm. Batman's the pinnacle. Like if you're an American actor, that's the ultimate role to be offered, and I was yes. like, wait a minute, Val, I believe you mean guest voice in the Beavis and Butthead movie. Second yes, place, Yes, not Batman. so fast, Val, okay? I um, said that a lot to my screen during that film. Not so fast, Val! Hold up, Val. <laughs> wait a minute, Iceman. Will you write, will you, uh, you can always be my wingman anytime, Iceman, on this? <sighs> Anyway, we'll talk about we'll talk about that one. Uh, oh, so yeah, Vince Vaughn. I like that he plays a uh, a health inspector. You, uh, yeah. Um, is he is he the guy that puts like the A, B, and C on the uh, re- outside the restaurants? Do they have that in Florida? I'm assuming yes. I I believe he probably is. I recently watched for a different podcast. I watched uh, the the Invasion of the Body Snatchers, that 1978 one with Donald Sutherland. Okay. He is yes. also a health inspector in that movie, and. When I was watching it, I was like, you know, hmm. it's it's rare. There aren't a lot of movie characters. Uh, Larry the Cable Guy played a famous health inspector once. But other than that, I... Oh, in what movie? It's called The Health Inspector, right? I'll look it up. Oh. Yes, Larry the Cable wow. Guy does a movie where his character... Yeah, Larry the Cable Guy, colon, health inspector. Released in the wow. year 2006. Oh, wow. Co-stars uh, Tony Hale. Wow, a, real, a real highlight for that guy, I'm sure. Larry the Cable Guy's uh, health inspector really got her done. He did, yeah. Got her, got her done. All yes, right. indeed. You, well, you brought that one to a screeching. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know yep. how to follow Get Her Done. Apple will release a sci-fi adventure film, Finch, starring Tom Hanks on November 5th. This was originally going to go to theaters from Universal, but Amblin chickened out because everybody's getting sick and dying, so they sold it to Apple TV+. Plus. Mm-hmm. Tom Hanks stars as a robotic engineer in the future. Most of Earth has been wiped out by a cataclysmic solar event. I don't know what that means. Like, the sun partially exploded. Most people died. Tom Hanks is still alive, though. He's hanging in there. And the movie's about he's designing a robot that will care for his beloved dog Goodyear after he dies. I guess he's worried he's going to die and leave this dog with no one to care for it. So he's building the dog a robot friend. So it's Castaway meets uh, I Am Legend. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I remember we talked about this earlier on the show. And, uh, yes, he used to be called I, uh, Bio. I, I waxed on uh, about uh, why wouldn't he build a sex robot for he himself? Did. Yeah. Yes. Aren't there already uh, uh, like blowjob robots? Uh why I don't know. I mean, you're you're asking me like, Lon, when did I'm you? Where did you hook up your blowjob, bro? I'm like, gonna have to do a deep dive. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. I'm probably I. It to me I'm, to me. Here's what I would say. It seems yes. like a blowjob machine, not a robot. If you're gonna get a full robot, you want it to do everything. Oh yeah. If it's gonna just specialize in one thing, I feel like it's just a device. It's not a full robot. You would need to get like six robots in your house to complete 
uh, uh, the full sex act. I don't think anybody wants that. True. All right, I'm done with this heavy petting bot. Let's put that one away and get the blowjob <laughs> bot. Like, I don't, nobody's doing that. It's one. Big sex toy would want to sell you one after another. They're going to try to, like, Voltron it. Like, you get all these different devices, but then you assemble them and they make one big sex bot that then fights kaiju. Oh, that fights kaijus, yes. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, if it's a Voltron, I mean, it's going to sure. fight big monsters. That's what, what am I, talking to myself uh, here? What, am I crazy? <laughs> no, I, I love that What idea. does a Voltron do, Hal? No, I don't. I actually don't even know what a Voltron. Voltron's going to space or something. I don't know. Jet Jaguar I mean, fights it's, kaijus. I don't know. It's five lions. Uh, Boy, any fan of Japanese culture listening to this episode is just like, done. Like, done. We're making fun of their anime eye patches. We're making fun of Voltron. Mm-hmm. They have had it with us. Yeah, we are really th- uh, throwing stones at the sacred yeah. cows to make. So up next, our interview with Takashi Miike. No, I'm kidding. That one. <laughs> one more news story. Let's get out of this. Uh, the Disney Plus Home Alone reboot. This is a remake. This is a new film. It is not, I don't believe, plot connected. It is just like mm-hmm. a new take on a Home Alone story that's going to come to Disney Plus on November 12th. Archie Yates, not the main kid from Jojo Rabbit, the friend, the the the, the very committed Nazi friend uh, yes. in Jojo Rabbit. He stars, he's Max Mercer. His family accidentally leaves him alone when they go on a holiday vacation to Japan, and he must protect his house from a married pair of burglars who are coming in after a priceless family heirloom. Ellie Kemper and Rob Delaney are in it. My guess is they're either the parents or the married burglars. I'm not I'm not 100% sure on that. Don't quote me on that. Does the parents' trip to Japan involve uh, a tour of anime studios and then an enjoyment <laughs> yeah. of sex bots? They go and visit Hayao Miyazaki and use mm-hmm. his sex bot. That's, the, that's what they're doing in Japan. Oh, okay. Japan feels like they were like, we can't do France again. That's where they go in the first movie. What's the other place where only very rich people would go on vacation? Why does it always have to be very rich. I guess I guess the idea is if you're writing a home alone script, they have to be a rich family so they have something worth stealing. Like you wouldn't their house has to get burglarized. Yes, you want to have a house where you can set multiple booby traps. And if they live in a, a one-bedroom uh, apartment. But but bear with me. Not everybody who's got a house that's capable of being burglarized is in fact like living like the McAllisters where it's like, oh, let's take a group sure. of 30 people to France for Christmas. Oh, yeah. Like even in the 90s, you know, middle class people maybe had a little bit more disposable income. But I, no, I, nobody I knew was taking a trip to France with 30 relatives for Christmas. I grew up in a halfway decent sized house and uh, we didn't have the disposable income to go on crazy vacations. Yeah, so. it's, it's just weird because it makes, it makes it a little hard to relate to them because they're living so like that's still that stands out to me about Home Alone. The family in Home Alone is so rich. Like, it's just weird. Hmm. I guess we're going to keep going. I don't know. They've got a priceless heirloom in their house. So I guess they're still they're going to Japan. So I guess they're still very, very wealthy in this one. Uh, I haven't heard Ellie Kemper's name since uh, it came up in a very unfortunate news yeah, story. Yeah, when she was attending Nazi parties. <laughs> yeah. The, the, <laughs> it wasn't a Nazi party. The <laughs> bell of the KKK ball. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. That one was always, that's one of those edge cases where it's like, 
I don't feel like we're going to fully like this person's not going to be entirely canceled because when she was a teen, she went to like a racist ball. Like, but it's bad. It's not like I'm, I'm dismissing it entirely. Like it's it's bad, but I maybe give her credit for not realizing the it had a very checkered bad history. I guess. I mean, I don't She was she was like in college. It's not, you know, I, 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 it wasn't like if she was 12 and you just like you don't know who these people people are like you could you could look it up but yes it's one of those areas where you feel like if it was you you'd, you'd never be sure like can i come back like are people still mad you, you just have to test the waters yeah like it's somebody you just got to show your face and be like are people gonna yell like it's got to be weird and testing the waters she will be this fall in home alone <laughs> home sweet home alone that's what it's called home sweet home alone and uh one more thing i didn't mention devin rattray who played buzz McAllister in the first two home Alone films. Mm-hmm. Kevin's bullying older cousin. Yes. Uh, he is in this film too. He's in the cast list. We do not know. I don't know. Somebody does. If he's playing Buzz McAllister or if he'll just show up and it's some sort of a cameo. I was thinking it might be similar to the role John Candy played in the original Home Alone, where he kind of pops up for a fun late cameo and then mm-hmm. moves along on his way. So no Macaulay Culkin. No Macaulay Culkin. No one else. That's the only Home Alone tie-in casting that was announced. So no Pesci, no Stern, no Catherine Mm -hmm. O'Hara. Yes. You know, the late John Hurd, the late John Candy can't be with us. I mean, if they could bring back, uh, you know, uh, Princess Leia, why why not? uh, (laughs) The digitally recreated John Hurd. Yes. They they brought back Pesci for uh, Irishman. They younged him up for that. Young him up. Pesci's retired. He came out of retirement to do Irishman. All right. I don't think he's going to come out of retirement to do another Home Alone. He did too. He's tired. In this Home Alone, uh, we could have a lot more fun with all of the little recordings and everything that the kid did too. I'm uh, sure. I'm sure they have a plan for this. I guarantee you. There's a TikTok. We have a hologram projector. Angels with dirty faces. Whatever. I'm sure they'll figure yes. it out. Yes. You filthy animal. There you go. Coming up, Lon, thank you for... Coming up, you're going to thank me. That's great. I'm looking forward yes. to that. I love being uh, I just wanted to th- before I uh, Before I teased, I just wanted to thank. <laughs> you know, that's what right. I yeah. do. Yeah, I, you got to thank. You I, always I, thank I, before you tease, folks. Listen. Yes, always you never, thank. You never want to tease before you thank. That's the first rule of podcasting. <laughs> it's true. Life. Uh, You thank, then you tease. Lon, thanks for a robust uh, bunch of news. And coming up, uh, we'll talk about Suicide Squad. Lon, the Suicide Squad. Yeah, I was about to Uh, say, if you say it without the the, totally different movie. Everyone's confused. Yes, totally. And markedly different qualities. (laughs) of movie. Yeah, they were just like everyone loved Suicide Squad, so let's give this one an almost identical title and put a bunch of random yeah. actors in both of them so it's very difficult to distinguish. That's going to work. So, uh The Suicide Squad uh debuted in theaters and on HBO Max. Uh, which is where I saw it. So you say something right there that kind of leads into uh, one of my thoughts or questions. So it, it disappointed at the box office, correct? Yes. It is the most watched of these DC movies to pop up. It did better than, you know, Wonder Woman 84 on HBO Max. Mm-hmm. Bear in mind, that was before a lot of people who now have HBO Max were on it. Right. Um, But it did not even do as well on HBO Max as Mortal Kombat did. Mortal Kombat was a lot more viewed online. 
end, it was uh, it was seen as a disappointing opening. They had hoped it would have more like a thirty million dollar weekend. It was more. It was under twenty five million. Mm-hmm. It did not do that well. I think to me, this is one of those cases where all of us on the internet who talk about movies on the internet all day, we assume everybody is keeping up the way that we are. So they know that. Okay, it's a new Suicide Squad film, but it's James Gunn, the guy who did the Guardians movies, and it's a very new cast, and it's a totally new approach. I think for most people, this just looks like a direct sequel to that Suicide Squad movie, which was not good. Yeah, it was a mess. And that one had Will Smith in it, and this one does not have Will Smith in it. So Mm -hmm. I think that's really 90% of it is just like, well, yeah, you took out the one biggest – not that Margot Robbie and Idris Elba – uh, they're they're great. I'm not knocking them, but Will Smith is a huge draw. And I Will think that, Smith has been an international superstar for decades. And, yeah. and I think we've seen some other examples too of if you had Will Smith in the first movie and then you try to do a sequel without him, your Men in Black Internationals, your Independence mm-hmm. Day resurgences, they tend to mm. not do as well because you've kind of built in an audience expectation for what kind of movie they're getting. Oh, yeah. So I think that's probably part of it. I think the movie is fun. I think people will discover it. I just think that... Yeah, they kind of saddled themselves with this franchise that people think they know and don't necessarily like very much. Yeah, kind of a bummer because this is a fun ride. I think this movie accomplishes more or less exactly what it set out to do. Uh, You you have a lot of... uh, Dumb idiots getting killed. Uh, you have a, a fun, rollicking adventure, and then it really heightens. Like one of my favorite. Like I don't. I don't think I want to spoil too much. Yeah, just one of my favorite lines in this movie is uh, Steve Agee, who's become uh, part of uh, James Gunn's go-to guys. He was also in um, uh, Guardians. He uh, <laughs> like uh, he delivers a line. We got a freaking kaiju up in this shit. And it's just the movie, it's just a fun ride. And it keeps topping itself and introducing fun premises that it handles with a a deft hand. And James Gunn, I think, really stuck the landing on this one. I don't know what more people could have wanted or would have wanted in a Suicide Squad movie, aside from, you know, maybe a, a Joker being one of the core elements, like the first Suicide Squad, we, you know, I don't want to go down a revisionist history rabbit hole, but like it would have been better if it was just the Joker against those guys or uh, whatever. But yeah, I thought this movie was super fun. I, it's a lot better than the original one. It's definitely yeah. fun. There's a lot of, there, there are a lot of moments I liked and beats that are funny. I don't know. It, it kind of feels like, I, I feel like it sets up a funnier movie than it delivers. Like the first 30, 45 minutes are great, mm-hmm. and then you kind of settle into the comic book movie format, and and by the end, he's really leaning on the characters and the scenarios are wacky, yeah. and the movie is basically just what all of these movies are. Like, the third act of this and the third act of Black Widow are basically the same. It's just that mm-hmm. Black Widow is trying to take its world relatively seriously, and this is like, well, they're all a bunch of goofy, crazy characters with ridiculous powers. Like, I don't know, like, I, I kind of wanted it to be more chaotic and anarchic the whole way through, rather than kind of setting that world up and then becoming kind of, you know, like what you'd expect by the end. It's like, well, they all gotta, they gotta break into the facility and 
kill the thing that's threatening the city and learn to work together. And it's like a lot of the same beats that we've, we've seen a bunch of times before. Yeah. My other weird thing was this is the third straight Margot Robbie is Harley Quinn movie. She was in the first Suicide Squad. She did that Kathy Ann Birds of Prey movie. Now she's in this one. Yes. Every time it feels like a page one rewrite. They totally come up with a new take on this character. And this one, I, I couldn't even tell what the take was. Like, Suicide Squad, I think we could all agree, was not most people's favorite take, where it was she was a little bit sex objecty, she was a little bit mm-hmm. just like Joker's accessory and there to tie Joker into the story. And then I think right. Birds of Prey, I like that. I, I wasn't a huge fan of the whole movie, Birds of Prey, but that opening 20 minutes or so where it's just the Harley Quinn story and it's catching up with her is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. She's sort of more self-actualized. She's got more of her own personality and worldview. And then this one, she's like, you know, she's going to marry this general, this South. Like, it, it, that, that doesn't feel right at all that she would be sucked into that guy's whole world. And then it kind of just feels like, She's part of the conclusion. I I don't know. It felt a little all over the place. Like, why is she imagining cartoon flowers and birds? Like, I get that that's visually cool and kind of fun, but I don't get how it ties into anything else. I hear you on that, but it made sense for the story and um, that vignette in the film that you're talking about. They put a button on that that I think is true to the character. I hear you, though, about the consistency and having to uh, just kind of ditch the t- the first take and then you have the second take and now it was it was a little bit neutral Harley Quinn without like giving her too much personality and chutzpah and it's uh, compared to what we got to see from Idris Elba's character and but I don't know. I thought there was enough unique stuff. I loved the, uh, the the back and forth between Idris Elba and John Cena. John Cena was surprisingly funny, and uh, like I really liked the the take on his character. Like we we weren't really supposed to love his character or anything. I thought that was just nicely done, like a nice flavor there. And then uh, Polka Dots guy, that character was super fun. I I enjoyed the Rat Catcher too. So. Yeah, I don't know. If you wanted more from this movie, I can't sympathize with that. James Gunn took a dead property and brought it back to life. I really enjoyed it. Maybe movies. Suicide Squad, perfectly vital in animation. There's lots of comic books. Oh, it's yeah, a, movie. Not a but, dead but property it, it was in a general. Sh- the first one was a shitty movie. Nobody really, I did not really like the first yeah. one. Uh, Suicide Squad, HBO Max. It's there. You be the judge. <laughs> it's there. It is there. It's there. They they want they want you to watch it. So maybe watch it or not. I don't know. I the other the other thing. I'm going to jump back for a second. Yes. Guardians. The first Guardians, especially, but both of them. It's also just. It's got more of a its own visual style. Like it looks like a Marvel movie in some spots, but it does feel like he's got this visual world and it's visually pleasing and eye-catching. And I think the action works really well. And this one, it's crazy. Like there's a lot of weird imagery in it, but I don't know. There weren't a lot of like shots or scenes where I was like, the filmmaking is cool here. I feel like the visual style or the way the action, there's that one scene that Harley Quinn sort of fights her way through a building that's full of like goons. And it's kind of cool. It's shot like a, a little bit like the raid or like a John Wick thing where it's a little bit more like close up fighting. And she's like, you know, the, like obviously like there was a lot of stunt coordinating and stuff. And that, that scene works pretty well. But for the most part, 
I don't know. It's kind of generic, the style. I'm a little disappointed. Yeah, I mean, I agree that it didn't remake the wheel or anything. There's a whole and, scene that's uh, shot I, in the reflection of, of uh, John Cena's helmet, like a whole fight scene where you watch it reflected in the helmet, and the whole time I'm like, why? Like, that doesn't make it cooler. I mean, yeah, it's Just a, a thing to do, yeah. I thought Sylvester Stallone was fine. Sylvester Stallone's doing very good voice work, I agree. He's King Shark, yes. and it's funny. Suicide Squad, HBO Max, there it is, in theaters as well. We also watched a feature-length documentary, Val, on Amazon Prime. We did. Uh, the uh, Val Kilmer telling his uh, story, his, his life in the movies and after, and... Uh, Overall, I really enjoyed this, Lon. I uh, do lar- in large part to the treasure trove of footage. Val Kilmer, throughout the course of his life, a voracious filmer of his own, a cinematographer of his own journey. You know, it's definitely pretty one-sided. It is a love letter to and about Val Kilmer. It's all stuff but, he shot. You thought he was going to shoot people being like, you're a bastard. Uh, well, no, but like... <laughs> Val, let me tell you, buddy. Uh, it's a, <laughs> I've been waiting to say this to you into a camera for a long time. You're a piece of shit, man. Uh, but no, he, but he's, a, uh, from what I've gleaned, he's a little bit more of a controversial figure or lightning rod than he lets on. But, what would you, but again, what would you expect in, obviously, yeah. Yeah, to, he does get a little bit of John Frankenheimer talking shit to him. He, he caught, captured mm-hmm. a little bit of that. And Marlon Brando True, being uh, utterly disinterested in his questions and just wanting a little push on his hammock. Yes, uh, when they're on the set of the just epic failure, which was Island of Dr. Moreau. Um, but overall, I, I, this was, dare I say, a lovely tone poem about Val Kilmer. He, um, well, it just, uh, he was a beautiful boy and he blossomed into a movie star. And, but then, uh, you know, uh, some tragic circumstances have befallen him in his later years. But, uh, you know, Lon is laughing right now. <laughs> just, I was just pitching a poster for the movie and the quote across the top He's a beautiful boy, Hal Rudnick. He was. He was, such a- he was. Look, folks, Hal Kilmer was a beautiful boy. No argument from me. I'm not arguing this point at all. I mean, he was a gorgeous matinee idol looks movie star. Yeah, I mean, like, look, Iceman, Top Secret, we've all seen the classic. The real genius, oh, yeah. we've all seen the classic Val Kilmers. Oh, yeah. So, um... <laughs> I just like that that was your big takeaway. It was like, Val, loved it, beautiful boy. Five stars. Uh, you know, you're um, being, you know, comically dismissive of that. But it really, no, but it reinforced that there was, there's such a stark difference between him and his circumstances today, having to have, you know, tracheotomy, throat cancer. Um, and, you know, you feel terrible for him, but he soldiers on and he gets very personal and revealing about himself. But just contrast with, like, just being on top of the world in that way. And it is just so fluid and poetic the way it's constructed. Um, I thought it was really uh, just beautifully directed, uh, all this footage and and, uh, put together. Uh, Lon? Sometimes you're the beautiful boy and sometimes you're the less beautiful old man. That's that's just, that's life, folks. That's just... That's just one of those dark trees of life. Uh, I, I love this. I thought this was, this reminded me a lot. And I said this on Twitter and I confused a lot of people. Uh, well, now they got to listen to this show and figure out what I was talking about. Uh, F for fake. Did you ever see F for fake? 
It, it's mm, uh, that it, sounds very familiar. Orson Welles made it in the seventies. It's it's a documentary, but it's really more of like a film essay. He just filmed a bunch of stuff, and it's his thoughts. And it, 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 at first, it's about magic and how he loved magic growing up and illusions, and he trained himself to do magic before he was even an actor. And and the way that acting and magic are sort of similar in that you're kind of you know it's this it's this kind of game that you're playing with the viewer, and it's like. You know, mm-hmm. the, this sort of, you know, what's real, the questioning and blurring the lines between magic and reality. And and then it goes on to, he makes a whole bunch of other points and talks about making movies in his life. And it's just his philosophy. It, it's kind of considered one of those early examples of like a film essay. Like, it's not a documentary like, we're going to look at this case from beginning to end. You know, it, it's just like right. ideas about a topic from a lot of different perspectives, all from the mind of like one kind of creator. And this almost in some ways reminded me of that. Like, using footage... Is there any footage of Orson um, as a beautiful boy? Yes. I mean, that, that, that there's not much of, of, of Orson as a beautiful boy. There, there's some stuff of him as a younger man. It's mostly stuff that he shot in the 70s when he was already, like, uh, look, like, like Marlon Brando in a hammock. He had a Brando hammock mm-hmm. kind of physique by yes. this point. There's one shot in Effort that is one of my favorite beats, like, in any movie. He's... He's massive at this point, Orson Welles, and he's mm-hmm. in this booth at a crowded restaurant filled uh, all sorts of other people at the booth. But almost all mm-hmm. the food is in front of him, and he's narrating part of the film. He's talking to camera like, by this point, I was in Eastern Europe, and, and he's just telling his story. And he's ordering. He's like, while the movie's going, he's like, oh, can we have another lobster? Like, And he's just, it's that casual. And of course, it's fake. Like, he, he knew he was doing this because the camera was there, right. and it's like part of the movie. But it's so funny and, and very Orson Welles. And that that's a little bit what this kind of reminded me of. Like, we're taking all of this random, disparate footage that Val Kilmer shot of himself throughout his whole life today, on the sets of these movies as a kid. And he's just tying it together with thoughts and ideas. And he's kind of walking you through his life and sharing musings about all kinds of different stuff, including this stuff about the nature of, he's not a magician, but like what's real and where does the character stop and the real guy begin? And like, what's the line between him and, you know, when he's living for a year as Jim Morrison and making his wife crazy, like, mm-hmm. you know, is that just being crazy? Is that acting? Is that somewhere in between? Is just acting making you crazy? Like, I, and I really, I got really into that. I thought it was really interesting that he, he had the freedom to just kind of explore all of this stuff through this old footage. Yeah, and his like treasure trove of archival footage, it's uh, it's pretty startling. And, oh my God. there's uh, some incredible like stuff in here. Like you can't yeah, believe what like you're seeing. Yeah, like some of his auditions that he sent to prominent directors. Like Kubrick, it's he wanted to get into Full Metal Jacket, so he said Kubrick, Kubrick a bunch of stuff. Good, good fellas, yeah. There's a couple scenes where he's dicking around with like Rick Rosovich and some other guys from Top Gun on the aircraft carrier. Like they were about to shoot and they're just hanging out, goofing around, like making fun of Tom Cruise on this aircraft carrier. And you're like, Mm -hmm. these kids have no fucking idea. Like they just thought they were making some action movie. They don't know what's going to become Top Gun the next year. And then Tom Cruise is going to become Tom Cruise. Like they were all just like young. To see that stuff. Because it's not presented as like a featurette or here's the official behind the scenes. You know, like you'd see there if you get Top Gun on Blu-ray, there's like a documentary about making it. But this is Mm -hmm. like this raw, unfiltered, like that's just Tony Scott hanging out on the set. It feels different. 
Yeah, absolutely. It, it's so personal. And I'm going to go back to the um, my uh, maligned, beautiful boy comment for a moment <laughs> because it the camera loves and I love young Val Kilmer. <laughs> Clearly. Yes. No, I remember, like, if, if you haven't seen Top Secret, I feel Top Secret gets forgotten behind um, the epic comedy greats like um, Naked Gun and Airplane. But Top right. Secret is very, very good in the style of those movies. Yeah, I, I feel like Top Secret, I think I've talked about this on a different podcast. I feel like Top Secret is forgotten because the movies that it parodies are kind of forgotten. Like, yes, like The Dirty Dozen. We don't do as many of those, like, World War II behind enemy lines, yep. like spy shit like we used to. Yeah. And that's where Top Secret is like making its making its hay, you know, like that's its Yes. And so because people modern audiences don't know that genre, it doesn't play. Whereas modern audiences immediately grok cop show, disaster movie. Yeah. Like those genres are yes. so immediate for us. Clicks clicks in the brain. Right. Yep. But we we get to see his journey, we get to see his life and really fall in love with this guy all over again, just seeing his compact, meteoric rise. And then you juxtapose that against um, the first time you hear Val Kilmer's current voice in this movie. And it's a real gut punch. And it's- He's got to do that. He's got that thing in the, the, the tracheotomy where it's like that, that yeah. woman in the, in, the, in the old PSA who used to try to scare you not to smoke, where she's got the little hole in her throat. Uh, so he's got that, and yeah. he can he can close the hole with his finger and speak, and you can I, you can mostly understand him. They, they sometimes will throw subtitles up there to help you, but uh, yeah, it's it's but, uh, you know it, it's obviously not how he sounds in our minds, and it makes you yeah. you're very aware every moment that this this thing happened to him that he's been through this this trauma so juxtaposing like those two versions of this man it's very stark the difference sure. and and then he talks about also not just that but his career and having to travel and living off that past legacy it, it, it is an emotional journey oh yeah i this movie had a real this made a real impact on me there is a sequence where mm-hmm. he he go. He's at this tombstone fan of it. I love the movie Tombstone. I'm just gonna just oh, personal. Oh, yeah. And his doc, his Doc Holiday is it's, legend. That's my favorite performance of his. It's one of my favorite westerns. So he's at this event, yeah. and the whole time I'm watching the sequence and thinking about how fun it would be to go see Tombstone. It's one of those Rolling Thunder reviews where they went to like a real ghost town yeah. and they set up a screen, and Val Kilmer's there to introduce the movie, and everybody loves him and whatever. Mm-hmm. And then while the movie's playing and the fans are watching it. He kind of wanders off a little bit. He's doing voiceover, and actually, it's his son. He, he has he has his son, I believe, Jack Kilmer, uh, provide the voiceover yeah. narration in the film. So and it, I thought that worked really. It well. works. It works fantastically well. It's also very yeah. touching. Like like yes, you, you know, like they they kind of play into that. That's part of the documentary is you're hearing his son record his father's words. But anyway. So he's he's mm. talking or his son is talking in the voiceover and he's it's it's about how he's sad and he's sad that rather than get to continue acting and making great movies his career is going around and saying hi to fans and signing things but as somebody who goes to these events yeah and sees how excited people are like 
No, I guarantee nobody when they go to meet Val Kilmer at a fan event is thinking this guy is pathetic. I can't believe he has to be here with us. He should be making mm-hmm. more movies. They're thinking, oh, my God, to be in the presence of my hero, Val Kilmer, is like the most exciting thing in the world. And so adding yeah. that into that scene, it's, it's really it's it's really weighty. It's really meaningful that he he you can't always access that. You're always thinking kind of people have this this horrible perception of you or they're thinking the worst. But really, all of those people, like, all they want is to be close to him for five minutes. They're going to tell that story the next day that they were at this yeah. screening and Val Kilmer was there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Anyway, I thought, yeah, it's a very meaningful experience. I thought it was I thought it was really touching and, and, and well done. And uh, it does make you want to revisit Val Kilmer movies. Absolutely. And, yeah, your heart sinks a little bit um, just hearing his just perception of it now. And um, also, yeah, I, I just want to stress how beautiful the film looks and sounds the the just his specifically the face Um, of young val kilmer oh he's a beautiful boy a thousand ships i I think it's a first-time director um his name's uh ting pu uh the editor and director of the film and Mm -hmm. he took this footage i believe there were two directors i could be wrong i'm gonna look this up i don't want to short i don't want to give anybody the short strip i'm seeing ting pu and leo scott Leo Scott and Ting Pu, um, they really wove a beautiful just tapestry. Of, of, like, I, that's why it feels like this tone poem of like colors and like just um, different uh, effects on the footage and the music, the way it flows. It's just, it's a, yeah, it's a cosmic gumbo. It's a gumbo. lovely journey. It's a, it's a cosmic gumbo. We were saying that. A little bit, a little bit. Uh, so one more uh, slight criticism. I, I could have gone with a few minutes less of the Mark Twain. I think it's hilarious that... Uh, Old white American dudes, you've got to become fascinated by World War II or Mark Twain. Those are your only. Yeah. Those are your only two choices. And I, I'm sad that we didn't get dueling Mark Twains between him and Hal Holbrook. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, you can't have. I'm going to go on stage and be Mark Twain. That's Hal Holbrook's bit, that's man. Hal Holbrook's. T- yeah, that's you're on Hal Holbrook's corner, I my just, dude. Just, just pictured Hal Holbrook like riding up outside, oh. dressed as Mark Twain, doing a drive by. This is my block, motherfucker. Hannibal, Missouri is mine. <laughs> Samuel Clemens is in the house. Why, sir, um, you have offended me. <laughs> Wait, Foghorn Leghorn? No. I um, say, I say. But, uh, the, oh, uh, one other thing. The uh, I was sad that there was no inclusion of the ridiculous musical that Val Kilmer was a part of, Ten Commandments, the musical. There is. It's, it, uh, it was called Prince of Egypt, and there is a clip of it in there. No, no, no. I'm not talking about Prince of Egypt. Val Kilmer later played Moses in a stage show oh. called Ten and, and I remember um, driving around Los Angeles and seeing billboards for this, and I'm like, this looks so Oh, weird. I do remember this. I do, because it was the whole poster was like his face. It was like yeah. the, the Ten Commandments, the musical, the quarter, and there was just the, the face of Val Kilmer. And then a young uh, Adam Lambert uh, oh, from yeah. American Idol and uh, Queen replacing Freddie Mercury. You know, it's, it's based on a Fre- – it was a French it. show that they translated for, for American oh. audiences. There you go. Um, there are clips of it on YouTube if you want to do a weird little deep dive there. But, um, yeah, highly recommend uh, just a beautifully made uh, Val Story of Val Kilmer on Amazon Prime. Uh, we also checked out the new series on Hulu. I watched a couple of episodes. 
reservation dogs. Only two. Only two episodes so far. So yeah. you're all caught up. Cool. Um, Lon was like, uh, I was like, hey, what, what, are we, what do you want to uh, pick for our third thing this week? And he's like, I loved this and uh, Reservation Dogs. And uh, I got to agree. Reservation Dogs is stupid good times. It's so fun. So and funny. it really, really good. Yeah. And it does a great job of just like destroying any kind of like weird stereotypes or perceptions you might come in with and really just telling a story of just like uh, cool kids uh, being. Um, being kind of shysty and having fun and but also with a deeper underlying you know issues and world and the whole just stigma and um potential issues that go with in reservation life people have spent a long time like fighting this fight with hollywood like hey Mm -hmm. you need to start letting other people besides like suburban white dudes tell their stories and make stories about themselves not just in front of the camera but it's still you know white dudes who went to harvard writing the scripts like everybody involved in these shows like you need to let more communities of people tell their own stories and after decades decades and decades of this fight we're finally starting to see some evidence of it happening and sure enough it's good and and if you let people tell stories about mm-hmm. themselves and their communities it's interesting and you learn some things about them and uh it's funny and it feels fresh and it gives the kinds of stories that you've seen a bunch of times like a fresh coat of paint so it doesn't feel like the same thing all over again. Because this is, we've seen comedy, drama, coming-of-age stories about, like, bored, frustrated kids in rural towns. Mm -hmm. That's nothing new. But this show feels dramatically new because we've never seen it from this perspective. And we've never seen it in this kind of an Oklahoma town with this kind of a cast of characters being authentic and presenting a story that feels like it's from their lives and about people they recognize. And it's so fucking refreshing when you see it. You're like, ah, why was this such a hard fight in the goddamn first place? In two half-hour episodes, they do an incredible job of, like, the world-building of this place. And I don't mean the rules and mythology and lore. I just mean, like, Mm -hmm. I feel like I totally get what life in this town is like and who these people are and the rhythms of life in this world. And it's like you you download so much and they're from these episodes and they're they're all so funny. Yeah, it's it's just kids who want to explore and they have this wanderlust. Like there is something so accessible, way more accessible than any preconceived notion you might have going in. Man, I was just having fun. It's subversive. And the, the kids, the the, the four uh, main uh, protagonists here, so likable and interesting and 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 complex. Like uh, just like. Like they're they're like sort of bad kids, but with hearts of gold. But like they really have a conscience, and like there's some really surprising scenes. And like the storytelling is like it's not just seeing these people's lives. The storytelling is so well done, and it does interesting things with uh, again with their conscience, also with Native American and Indigenous people's mythology, because um, it's self. Uh, facing to a degree where it's it's so delightful and funny and you get it and it's like I feel like I'm getting inside information here that is just really funny like there's this one uh, dream sequence character who just 
pokes fun at, I guess, Native American mythology and some of these towering figures. I mean, there are figures from history that I've read about, and like Sitting Bull and Crazy Horse. And it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to do our own version of that. And it is fucking just delightful and brilliant. Yeah, uh, I thought it was uh, was a lot of fun. Uh, Good show. Recommended. Yeah. FX on Hulu. Absolutely. Streaming now. The first two are up. By the time you hear this, there may be a third. I don't know. Worth mentioning, co-produced by uh, Taika Waititi. Yes. And um, Co-created. Sterling Harjo and Taika Waititi co-created the show. Uh, Sterling Harjo, he's he's got a he's got a few things going right now. That's that's a name that you will probably hear again. I feel like because he's uh, what was I just looking up? Oh yeah, Res Ball. He's also writing that one, that LeBron James show. Uh, did, did we talk about this before? LeBron James is producing a show. It's going to be about a Native American high school basketball team from New Mexico. Also going to be written by this guy Sterling Harjo, who created Reservation Dogs. And that comes from Sydney Freeland, who worked on, I believe, uh, something. Uh, she worked on Rutherford Falls. So it's all it's all coming together. Oh, and speaking of Rutherford Falls, in the second episode of uh, Reservation yeah. Dogs, uh, there's a, little, a just a, a little cameo of um, the uh, I, oh, what is the actress's name from uh, Rutherford I'll, I'll Falls? Thank you, Lon. But playing a starkly different character. Yeah, she's great. Uh, Jana Schmiding. Yes, um, really good in uh, just a, a you know small, fun role on uh, the second episode. Yeah, she's Regan in, uh, in Rutherford. Yeah. Uh, so worth checking out. You can find those first two episodes up on Hulu. It's a good time. Lon, those are the programs we watched, and now is the time to end the show. Uh, hoot hoot. Grim. Hashtag Owl Nation. A little owl lives in all of our hearts and butts. Starburns, thank you, Starburns Audio. Travis Reeves, thank you for producing the heck out of the show. Jason Kay, thank you for the sweet licks to open up the show. Lon Harris, uh, any final thoughts or plugs? Uh, no, just uh, follow me on Twitter at L-O-N-S. That's the best place to keep up with everything I'm working on. And uh, subscribe to my newsletter. That's inside.com slash streaming. That's where you can do that. It is five days a week, and it is totally free, and I will tell you all about this stuff before you hear it on the podcast. But still also listen to the podcast. You too can be a streaming insider. Do you, yeah. do you, are you, like, are they part of, like, a little little buddies streaming club? Do you have, like, uh, like people who subscribe to your newsletter? That sounds sinister. If you had a child and they were like, can I join the little buddies streaming club? You'd be like, who runs it? Oh, this 42-year-old bearded guy? Absolutely not. No, you can't join that. No. When you put it like that, Lon, count me in. (laughs) Uh, Please uh, follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at Hal Rudnick. And uh, just want to say, this week we we, we lost uh, an amazing uh, comedy person and a great, kind uh, uh, gentleman, Trevor Moore, R.I.P. Trevor Moore. Uh, If you can find it uh, on YouTube or just, uh, uh, I'm not sure if they're streaming, but Whitest Kids You Know and his uh, Comedy Central stuff on YouTube, absolutely worth uh, looking up. Gone way too soon. Uh, Rest in peace, Trevor Moore. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch in the fuck out of shit.